values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show, as always. And if you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, do it now. Simple to do, as always, on any device you have. Never miss a minute of the show. And a big thank you to my friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley, for the sponsorship this week. Get a higher price selling your home and get guaranteed offers. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. We start this hour off talking about the Phoenix Police Department. Well, all police departments, but Phoenix Police reacting in a way that most people would say is appropriate with an armed suspect who was uh, thought to be be a little bit in in a bad place. I don't want to... I don't want to go too far with what we say about the, the suspect because I don't know enough. But the officer began yelling, get on the ground, get on the ground. It was reported by a family member that this person had left the house with a lot with loaded guns and uh, was it was. Um he had several firearms and extended magazines along with other weapons. He's been released in the hospital and booked into jail on weapons charges. And uh, the Phoenix Police Department had to uh, go in, uh, go into a situation where this man was walking across the parking lot into an occupied convenience store. And there were customers and workers inside. As he approached the store, he was told to get on the ground, and he wouldn't. He had guns. The Phoenix Police Department opened fire, hitting the suspect, wounding the suspect, saving the people inside. But I want you to hear something else. This happened on the Vegas Strip yesterday, and here's a synopsis of the stabbings if you haven't heard this story. At around 11.40 a.m. Thursday, police say a suspect with a large kitchen knife approached a group of female entertainers who take pictures with tourists on the street. There was an unprovoked altercation, and he began stabbing. As he fled south from that first scene, police say he continued to stab people as he went. Then he rounded a corner, and authorities began to converge. So, here's some more headlines. D.C. shooting leaves four injured, one in critical condition. Washington, D.C., some of the most strict gun laws in the entire country. Uh, new FBI national crime data released with glaring holes in major cities, including New York City. But shoplifting in California is out of control due to zero consequences, according to a district attorney. There are companies that are fleeing Chicago because they are, is the, my, my, not my words, their words, crime-infested Chicago. These are just headlines. FBI crime report shows murders rose over 2020's historic numbers as midterms approach. Uh, a, a Chicago business owner said, we are not happy with uh, with the mayor, Lori Lightfoot, and their policies on crime. Um, and, and so then you look at the, first of all, the gun control stories that are out there. Here's a headline. Um, this bothers me. Killing of rappers are more than just a hip-hop problem, experts say. The subheadline is this. The fatal shootings of high-profile rappers are igniting familiar conversations about gun violence and corporate culpability. Isn't that interesting? Not why are we shooting each other, but are the gun are the gun companies are they the ones are is corporate America to blame? Um uh, I will say to you that we should be a nation of second chances. I believe in redemption. I believe in redemption for most people. Um, I think most people are redeemable, and other people disagree with me on that. But I believe that to be true. But when we are, when we, when someone has shown themselves to behave in a way so many different times, at some point you have to be willing to say, um, you know, I don't. 
I don't believe you. You are going to have to make significant changes. You need to be separated from the rest of society for quite a long time. And I wonder, I think America, that pendulum is swinging back again, and it always does. And Americans don't feel safe. There's a record number of people buying firearms to protect themselves, and the attitude toward policing is – and there's always improvements that can be made. I will – I've always – uh, maintain this. I think I always will. That um, you know, there everything can improve. It doesn't matter who you are. You can always improve. So it certainly isn't that I think that there's no room for improvement in law enforcement or anywhere else. But if we don't start understanding that the men and women in law enforcement have faced undue stress over the last few years and it has been had a dramatic effect on their ability to do their jobs because of the way they're viewed by segments of the public that have now seeped into city and state leadership and national leadership, you still have to fund the police people in the Congress. You still have to have them. Their voices aren't nearly as bold or as loud as they used to be. Most people are fleeing from the idea because it was such a miserable failure. But there are still some of them out there. They still have to face that. The idea that we're going to demonize the men and women that are trying to protect us. And I say this with it being fully transparent. Um, I feel as if I am capable still to this day of defending myself. I'm getting a little older. I'm not like I used to be. But, you know, um, I still feel as though I can protect myself if I need to. I, I'm, you know, I'm often armed and I, but not because I'm afraid. I just I, I'm just trying to be prepared. It's like having a fire extinguisher in your vehicle. You're not paranoid that your car is going to catch on fire and you're not hoping that your car catches on fire. You just realize if there's a fire, this is a great way to stop that fire until the fire department gets there. And that's the way I've always looked at firearms. I don't want a confrontation. I don't want to fight. I don't want to, uh, you know, defend my life. But I feel like it's necessary to be prepared. But I don't want to live in a society where it's expected that we have to fend for ourselves. You know, you've got in New York, they've now got such horrible policy toward crime there with the revolving door of the criminal justice system in New York City. But you then also have people in political leadership putting out notifications to businesses and telling them how they can handle situations themselves without calling the police. Anybody know how that's going to end? This is where the problem lies, because now if a problem if, if a problem is started by someone coming into a store, let's say, and someone walks into a store in New York and they start trouble, they try to shoplift. And instead of calling the police, the store owner or the worker, the store intervenes and it turns into a deadly situation or at least a very harmful situation. What happens when they come back and try to sue the store, or the store owner, or their insurance company when they are the ones that came into the store to commit a crime in the first place? And how far is too far? Should and then someone inside a store shoot someone that's there to steal something out of their store. This is what happens in a society when we go outside of police and we say, handle it yourself. We've been taught, how many times have you heard, call the police. Let the police handle it. Cooler heads prevail. You got a problem? Call the police. Let the police handle it. They're so understaffed in New York, they're now putting notices up to business owners saying, don't call the police. Handle it yourself. Here's the three. Here's the four D's of how you can handle it yourself. De-escalate and all this other stuff. And you're faced with a situation you're not trained for, and you're going to react the best way you can. And it's not going to end well a multitude of times. 
I just think that it's I, I, it's it's infuriating to me that this is where some cities are going, and yet they want to um, you know they want to. Um, they want to make it. They want to make it different in our state, <laughs> and they're messing up their own. That's where my problem is with them. Coming up in just a moment, uh, we are going to talk about the president. He has no plans to stop selling arms to the Saudis despite oil cuts. We'll also talk about the economy. That's coming up in just a moment. <laughs> and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. Here's the headline. U.S. gas prices are climbing again, pressuring consumers. I think is when it comes to the economy, most Americans are concerned with what's happening. U.S. takes aims at OPEC for oil production cuts. Treasury announces new sanctions on Iran amid violent response to protests. The reason why I have that in the stack with this is we are hearing... That we are not going to from the White House. Uh, I want you to hear that this is uh, Mr. Patel, Vendon Patel, who is the State Department principal spoke deputy spokesperson. That is quite the title. And he is talking about whether or not the White House has plans to stop selling arms to the Saudis. But we have no uh, no plans to uh, to do that at the moment. Uh, as no you plans saw, to do what? Sorry. To withdraw arms, or the, as you so indicated in your question. What I would reiterate, and you saw Secretary Blinken speak to this on his travels, is that we have a, a multiplicity of interests with regards to Saudi Arabia. The president and the Secretary laid those out quite clear uh, during their travels over the summer. Uh, and, and these priorities include everything from regional relationships, from improving relations between Arab countries and Israel, Saudi Arabia's role in Yemen, where we're working with them very closely uh, to try and continue the truths, uh, and a number of other issues that were reflected during the president and the secretary's travels over the summer. Uh, and we're working every single day to the best of our ability to ensure that energy supply from across the world meets the demand signals uh, that we're seeing across the market right now. Do you think the Saudis sat around when they were talking with OPEC nations, other OPEC nations, and deciding what they were going to do with production of oil and sat around and said, you know, we've got a multiplicity of of relationships and dealings with the United States. We don't want to upset them, and we want this to continue the way it is. And Or do you think they said, hey, we got to – let's do this. Let's uh, – I am all for diplomacy. I am someone that I'm not someone that blows up a relationship over one thing. But the world, and I will say even more so when it comes to energy, Europe is teetering on the brink. That Europe is in big trouble with the oil supply and their dependence on Russian oil. And we are now seeing that when you deal with your enemies in this way and they are truly your enemies, this is the kind of position you put yourself in. You know, when someone feels as if they have nothing to lose or, or, or hurting you is worth whatever pain they feel, you're in a very bad position. And I feel for the Europeans. Um, and I've only visited Europe a couple of times, but I've fallen in love with parts of Europe and, and the people. And, and you know, it, it's – there are allies. When you look at some of our, our strongest allegiances, we have them with, with Great Britain. We have it with France. And um, when they start running into trouble and you're starting seeing this huge increase, the reality that you may not be able to heat your home in the wintertime is a, is a big deal for families. And it's a real possibility. And this uh, this continued use of oil and, and fossil fuels, energy production, the use of that as a weapon is something the world should be concerned about and push back on. And, and the, the U.S. at this point 
seems as if they have absolutely no plan on how they're going to push back. I want you to hear a little bit more. This is a quicker cut. We have no plans uh, to take such actions. Uh, if you're speaking to specific legislation, uh, I'm not going to get ahead of Congress or uh, legislation that is still pending. But uh, in response to whether we intend to take such actions, I have nothing to, to read out on that right now. We don't know what we're going to do. We're not going to say anything about what we're going to do. And there are times, to be very honest, when you can say too much. So you don't always tip your hand. Um, I would get upset once in a while when the, when the Obama administration would say what they weren't going to do. There's, we're not going to use force. We're not going to. So uh, that bothered me because you would want all things on the table. Um, I'm not saying we should do them, but you want your enemies or you want your adversary, at least if they're not enemies, your adversary in a situation to believe that all things are on the table. And I just don't like the way any of this is handled because of what's gone on. You look at what's happening again with fuel prices going up. The Dow is down another almost 570 points right now. Um, it is down below 30,000 again. It's at 29,300 something. And so we are still still seeing the people that gauge what direction we are going economically in this country pulling back and being very, very nervous. That's not a good sign. You know as well as I do, the rich are going to continue to get rich. They're going to continue to be rich. That is what they do. I don't begrudge them. That's, I wish they'd teach me how, to be honest with you. I wish they would teach me how. But when you look at the people that look at the future, they, they look at projections and they see the direction we're going and they are saying, mm, not right now. Nope, I'm going to wait. All of us should be nervous. So even though a strong stock market is not the only indicator of where things are, when you see a pulling back by the people that invest in the future, you have to be concerned. And a big part of this has to do not just with inflation and the raising of interest rates, but it also has to do with pulling back when it comes to investment because we're watching fuel prices go up. They know intellectually, we all know that the one reprieve we've had over the last few months has been a daily uh, um receding of gas prices. The drop in gas prices have helped people, small businesses, individuals, and now they're climbing back up again. The average in Phoenix, in the Phoenix area, is back up over five bucks a gallon. That is an outrageously high amount of money. I spent, I think it was $118, $119 filling my tank the other day. And that's an outrageous amount of money to spend on gasoline. And for some families, it breaks the bank. And if we are not – we know Wall Street is seeing that. Wait until we see what the holidays are like. And I want this to be better. I would love for this president to find a way to succeed in some way. But they seem like they are reacting way too slowly, way too late in the game, and there's going to be pain to be felt by the American people for it. I just believe that to be true. What we're going to do coming up in just a moment – Another sign, I would say more signs of the continuing border crisis. Next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Happy Friday from the Mike Broomhead Show. World-renowned Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson is heading to the Arizona Financial Theater on March 9th for his Cosmic Collusions Tour. Tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m. That's today. But you can win tickets by visiting the contest page at KTAR.com.
All right, uh, let's take a look at the immigration front. There are more signs of the border crisis. Mayor Adams declares a state of emergency to respond to the migrant crisis in New York City. He declared a state of emergency for New York City on Friday and said the city struggles to respond to an influx of thousands of migrants from Latin America. Here's another one, a headline. Biden administration issues over 300,000 smartphones with tracking devices to illegal immigrants. That's a headline from the Daily Wire. More than 300,000 smartphones used to monitor illegal immigrants were given to the non-citizens by the Biden administration last month, according to um, the uh, cellular devices uh, from Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Uh, John Fear, former DHS senior advisor and director of investigations at the Center for Immigration Studies, told the Free Beacon last month that the ADT, ATD program has already proven to be a costly failure. The smart smartphones have cost taxpayers $361,000 per day, per day in this program using facial recognition, GPS monitoring, and voice identification. There's more. We talked yesterday, at least I did, I talked about it yesterday, that the United States government, after hearing about OPEC and a reduction of of uh, production of oil in response reached out to the Venezuelan government and we asked Venezuela to produce more oil. And I talked about we are going to do business now with a, a, a an outrageously oppressive government. We have such hypocrisy in this country when it comes to the word oppression, when it comes to all of these things. We deal with nations all the time, and, and I'm not saying we should invade, but we deal with nations all the time that treat people horribly in comparison to American standards. And yet, in America, we cancel each other for no reason. So the president, the same president of the United States that's very critical of the way the MAGA Republicans behave and everything else wants to do business now with the Venezuelan government. In record numbers, Venezuelans risk a deadly trek to reach the U.S. border. Story here about a a person in, in Panama trekked for days through the jungle, crossed rivers, scaling mountains and carrying a diapered child through the mud so deep it was threatening to swallow them whole. That's how the story begins. During the worst period of a crisis in Venezuela, 2015 through 2018, apprehensions of migrants at the southern border never passed 100 people per year. This year, more than 150,000 Venezuelans have arrived at the border. Let me say that again. In the worst part of the crisis in Venezuela from 2015 to 2018, they ne- we never had more than 100 people in a year pass through our southern border from Venezuela. The number now is more than 150,000. So... When people talk about it, and by the way, it's not just us. One last thing. Uh, Canada's immigration problem, not enough homes for newcomers. As countries bring in more immigrants than its global peers, officials work to build houses and keep up with demand. So Canada's dealing with it. But the United States, what's happening on our southern border is absolutely horrifying. The policies of this administration, this is where real action needs to be taken. Those headlines should shock all of us. Every single one of us. We are spending well over $300,000 per day on a program that gives smartphones to people in the country illegally as tracking devices. What do we do? I mean, I, I honestly, I, in, in your opinion, when you sit here and hear that story, what do we do? 
I want you to hear Mayor Adams. Um, Mayor Adams talking about the amount of migrants coming into their city since April. More than 17,000 asylum seekers, mostly from South America, have been bused directly to New York City from our southern border since April of this year. 17,000. Now, I will say to you that um, I do feel for the people of New York. This is something for them. This is overwhelming. Look at what's happened. 150,000 just from Venezuela this year at the southern border of the United States. 150,000 just from Venezuela. So then he goes on. This is the other part. This is where where I don't know when this happens to them, they're shocked. But listen to what he said is is such a crisis. This responsibility was simply handed to us without warning as buses began showing up. Anybody yet still whispering welcome to our world? Understanding the plight of people that want to come to America, all of that being true. But as far as Americans versus Americans on this issue, people are just showing up without warning. What do you think has been happening in Texas and Arizona for decades? What do you think continues to happen? New York City or Yuma, Arizona. Let's talk about those places. New York City doesn't like the fact, and I don't blame them, that 17,000 people in the country illegally, without a place to go, without food to eat, sometimes without enough clothing, show up in New York and are entitled to a certain amount of of response because the federal government says so, and you are stuck dealing with them. What do you do? What do you do, Mayor Adams? And if that plight that you have, why aren't you? Can you at some point in the private moments, and I wonder if it's true, in the private moments where it's not about politics, where it's just about policy, and where it's about being the leader of a city, do you ever think about these small little towns like Del Rio, Texas, or Yuma, Arizona, McAllen, Texas, some of the other cities I've, I've visited and I've talked about? Do you ever think, man, we are the world's city? We are New York City with money and resources that no other place has on the planet. And we're dealing with 17,000 and don't know what to do. What about little Yuma, Arizona? How do they do it? You have to wonder if sometimes in his private moments he at least considers that. And when you look at the problem, we have to deal with the problem And it's not our problem to deal with. This is a federal issue. The federal government's done nothing. And I can promise you this, that behind the scenes, it's midterm elections. It wouldn't matter who it was in the White House. If it was Republicans, it would be handled the same way behind the scenes. This is a political issue, not a party issue. But you know as well as I do, they're just trying to get through the midterms. They don't want this to become an issue. They don't want to have to have a big policy shift. They don't want to have to have a big policy conversation. They don't want to have to answer why this is happening. But you know behind the scenes, you've got Lightfoot in Chicago and Adams in New York, that behind the scenes, these huge cities in America are going back to the administration and saying, you got to do something about this. They've already gone the route of trying to demonize the governors that are doing it in Arizona and Texas and Florida. That didn't work. They're already going the route to try to find a legal way to charge them with kidnapping or some other stuff. That's not working either, which means the buses are still going to come, which means we are going to have to deal with this. And we look incompetent because we don't know how to deal with this. When we scream, we are overwhelmed. They scream, look at our world. Something's got to be done. And the administration is just trying to get through the midterms. 
And that's what's happening. And unfortunately, a lot of human beings are caught up in the middle. It's unfortunate. Coming up in a moment, we talk education in Arizona. I had an interesting conversation with somebody today about the ESA expansion, but a more detailed conversation about schools here in Arizona and around the country. We'll do that coming up in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks so much for being here. Um, frequent topic on the show is schools. Um, uh, Christina Accurso, uh, who is an Arizona mom, who is part of a school choice advocate group, um, penned a, an op-ed piece in Fox News that is uh, worth reading, I think. Even if you're on the other side of the issue from her, I think it's very well written. Arizona families keep winning on school choice and more states need to follow. West Virginia Supreme Court overturns circuit court's decision to block school choice program. So other states are following. Um, I, 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 I love the moment in time mentality of people where you just start calling people crazy. I, it is the weakest form of a defense. When you are uh, – let's, let's go with the, the big shots, the NEA or the AFT, National Educators Association or the American Federation of Teachers, um, the big teachers unions. Uh, these, these are the politicians in education, the politics of education, which I hate. I love teachers, love educators, love local control, cannot stand the politics nationally that filters its way down into some organizations, including in Arizona, of politics. Can't stand it. But let's start with the big shots in education. The people that helped pen the American Federation of Teachers, um, uh, helped pen the policies on masking nationally in this country. When you've got the National School Board Association that calls parents that show up at school board meetings domestic terrorists. That was an outrageous thing to say. So much so that the Arizona Association of School Boards, they disassociated themselves with the National School Board Association. Pretty amazing. And other states did it as well. Um, When they just start talking about crazy people, that book banning, these people want to ban books, and then they're compared to Hitler who burned and banned all these thousands of books. And you look back and you think, so all of a sudden people started becoming crazy or – or is it that people decided it was time to take a look at what was available to my child in a school setting? What information are other adults pushing into my child's brain? If you're a math teacher, why are you talking about what a horrible person Donald Trump is? If you are a teacher in elementary school, why are you replacing the American flag with a pride flag and having kids pledge allegiance to the pride flag? Why are you have Antifa stuff up inside your classroom? These aren't most teachers. These are some teachers. Why do you have sexually explicit material available to my child in the school library? Why in Arizona? Are you sending home summer reading assignments and one of the choices is a very graphic, sexually explicit book? Why are you doing that? And if because of those questions I'm called a domestic terrorist, now you understand why parents are speaking out, why parents across the country are demanding change. There weren't, I never knew anybody. Growing up, nobody complained about the school they had. Nobody complained about their neighborhood school, their district school. They didn't. 
I remember when busing happened, when desegregation happened, and there was a rift about that. But I also remember being a part of, of, of groups of people that could care less about race. It was about who you are as a person. That's where the benefit I, of growing up playing sports. Nobody cared. We made fun of each other's difference. Sometimes it was skin color. Sometimes it was no hair at all. Sometimes you were the fat kid, the skinny kid. I'm the short kid. I, you know, I'm the guy that gets made of, made fun of because I'm not very tall. I'm five seven, five seven. I told people five eight, but it's time to be honest. I'm five seven, and you have this. Um, bone of contention out there now because parents are saying, I don't think that's appropriate. All of a sudden, you're transphobic. All of a sudden, you are homophobic. All of a sudden, you're all of these other things. When you say, I don't really think that the schools should be having drag queen story time in the school library. I don't think it's appropriate for elementary school students. Oh my gosh. You are just the closed-minded, horrible Bible-thumping. No, no. Listen, I'm not... If you've ever heard me tell a joke, if I've ever sent you a meme, if you've ever spent any time in a room with me off the air, you will know I am not approved. There is nothing about me that is even remotely prudish. But I also understand what's appropriate. I understand that when a parent says, I don't think that's appropriate for my child, whatever it is, then you don't do it around their child. You don't introduce it to someone else's child. I don't care if you're a neighbor, an aunt, a grandparent, or a teacher. So you have to ask yourself when these things happen in schools, are people crazy? Or are they just, is it just that people are interested in making sure their children are raised in a way that is appropriate in their household? And it, it, it makes, I got to tell you, to, to see these parents demonized, and now that's why you have people that want micro schools and homeschooling and all of these other choices, and it's why the ESA program was expanded. And you watch, school boards are going to have to change their tune, and that is a good thing. That is a good thing. It is going to breed competition, and it's going to build excellence. I think it's great. I, we want the test scores to go up, and I believe they are going to. And the opponents of this just want control of the money. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, let's go back to the debate. Who won the Senate debate? Was there a clear winner in the debate last night? If you think so, who do you think? Next.